All right, Quentin Blair, how are you doing with all the pandemic stuff? Uh, oh, you... man, it's, it's weird not seeing you in the studio. I don't like, I like talking to you. I, this, yeah, it's a little different dynamic, eh? Yeah, well, it's, it's it's funny because, like, so much of communication is nonverbal, and, and when we're talking back and forth, standing in front of microphones, people don't see all the hand motions and, like, you know, communication that we do without saying anything on the air so and i i do silent i silently laugh at you quite a bit sometimes and now you can't you can't see what i'm doing and i almost feel like i'm mocking you a little bit oh and sometimes i feel you're going down a certain road and i shake my head i said nope not (laughs) now (laughs) now it's just free reign we can go anywhere we want what has been what's been keeping you busy well it's just you know kind of adjusting to to a new normal it's it's been kind of one of these seasons where didn't really expect it to come, and at the same point, maybe I'm a little bit grateful, believe it or not, that 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 this is what's happening. I, I kind of like we had this big tour that was lined up. We spent six months going to these towns, talking to different nonprofit organizations, lining up all the press and the media and the shows and the set list, and did all this work to get to the point of the tour. And it actually was 9:45 the night before we were leaving for our first show in Dauphin. We were leaving 8 a.m. the following morning. Uh, where we got the phone call saying they're closing the venue, and then Nipawa phoned, and then McGregor phoned, and Winkler, and it was just like one after another after another, and it was just so devastating. We were supposed to be in Randolph this weekend. We should have been talking about that show. So, you know, it's kind of like this, this, it hits you because you put all this time and sweat and energy into it, and now it's like, it's like a new, it's a new thing where you're kind of going out, we're trying to raise money for other people. Like now I have like this, the social conscience involved and, and a vested interest in someone else benefiting from what we're doing. And so it, it took me about a week of just like, oh man, this is, this sucks. And I kind of wallowed for a little bit, but then I got to, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and say, look, man, this is affecting everybody and a lot of people way worse. I mean, I, I fear for my guys in the band because, because that's all they do, right? I, I have a day job. And so that keeps me busy until now. I'm, I'm starting to slow down a little bit now, but, um, you know, like all these different artists and musicians, and that's what they've got. And it's kind of just, it's amazing to see kind of how people are kind of rallying around each other and supporting each other. And you see all these um, online shows and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's interesting just to see how there's been a shift. But I feel like there's almost a moment where, like, I was reaching this this extreme burnout stage just because of all the work that goes into this. My parents were, were over a couple days before we were leaving for, for Dawson and I had a lighting rig set up in my living room, like complete with the lights and the controllers and everything. I was practicing just to, to make sure that it was all going to work the way I wanted it to. And I got guitar cases here because I'm changing strings. And I've got the PA over here because I'm programming something else. And my dad just said, you need a, a day around here just to get stuff cleaned up. And I said, no, dad, I need a week around here just to get stuff cleaned up. And uh, lo and behold, <laughs> like three days later, I got the phone call saying, actually, I'll these shows are canceled so um it's i kind of i'm kind of looking at it with some optimism um you know some some self-reliance i mean if you think about you know my grandparents and why did they save every plastic bag they had and why did they freeze everything and not waste and plant a big garden and and be as self-sufficient as possible well they live some they live through something even like worse than what we're going through right now so um you know, that's where the, that sort of mindset came from. And, and I don't think it's a bad thing for our society to have a certain element of don't forget that. Don't forget how to be self-sufficient and how to plant a garden and how to, you know, if you're, if you're 
a hunter, you're a fisher, you're, you're able to, to harvest for yourself and provide for your family as well. And there's something so, so much to be said in that as opposed to going to work, making the money to go and buy it. It's the same, you know, we're trying to get to the same end point of, of survival. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what the summer looks like. I don't, it's strange for me not to have anything on the calendar and I was planning on taking it easy this summer anyways. Maybe that's, uh, Maybe that was meant to be for, I don't know if you can even say that. Now, it shouldn't even go down that road with coronavirus. But it just, like, just the way that my summer was setting out, I was only going to be playing six to eight shows. And, you know, um, now it looks like probably nothing until November, December, which is, I've, I've never had that in my life. I can't remember. I can't remember a time where I didn't have 10 shows on the calendar kind of thing. So it's kind of uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, Q, is it a little bit easier having the the shows postponed for your for your million dollar venture before you really got started, as opposed to maybe in the middle of what you were doing, like you you didn't quite get it off the uh, you didn't get started. Is it easier to have it postponed then, as opposed to right in the middle? Uh, I would have liked to have sort of known how it's going to go because because it's such a new thing. You're, you're kind of like. I'm taking a bunch of huge risks. I'm taking a, a bunch of, of new approaches to things. So I want to, I want to figure out what works so that, you know, the plan was by next spring, I've got a well-oiled machine. I know exactly how every show is going to go. I know how to handle this situation or this situation and, you know, just kind of prolongs it. But there's a silver lining in it going, um, you know, there, there is, there is going to be a time when people want to come back and do those social activities and there'll be a real thirst for it. So, um, it's a matter of just kind of this, these events are supposed to be reasons that the community comes together. And so if anything, having it as a relief from what we've been going through for, by that point, it'll be six months, probably. Um, it'll be a reason for people to get together and that'll be a, I, I think, a a good thing. It'll feel good for the community. It'll feel good for us, and it'll it'll get things off on the right foot. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's okay that it didn't start yet. Now, uh, now that you got some time to be at home, I'm sure you're kind of all over the place. The most important question: uh, I know you're not really a Netflix guy, but have you watched Tiger King? <laughs> oh man, I watched the first two episodes of Tiger King and <laughs> I don't have to watch anymore. Now I kind of I kind of feel like I got it now, but but that is something else. That is it's it's amazing how like like yeah, I'm not into Netflix. I don't watch a lot of um a lot of kind of must-watch things or whatever. Um and yeah, I stumbled across this Tiger King and saw two episodes and just wow. The, wow, the, that show that show literally has it all. It does. The worst thing for our society was having so much time to watch that entire show. Yeah, I, 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 it's the number one show in, on Netflix. It is, and you know what? I binged it all in one night. I was up to like eleven thirty because you have to. See, it's just so unbelievable. It's like a train wreck, though. You just can't look away. It is like a train wreck on ice. Like it is one of the, the most unique things ever. Uh, but you actually are, are spending a lot of time at home, and you're doing some cleaning and stuff. It's kind of like uh, Easter for grownups when you go around your house because you find stuff you thought you lost or you never thought you'd see again. Uh, is that what it's been like for you yeah it's, it's funny because I, I went through and I, I like on like day one I went through um, 
Brooks closets, tried on all of her clothes. I didn't try them on. I got her to try them all on. Figured out what fits, what doesn't fit. And then I got all of these and went through my closet, did the same thing. And, you know, was kind of ruthless in, in kind of getting rid of clutter. And all of a sudden I got four bags of, of giveaways. And the irony is that you do all this work right now because you're at home, but you can't take the clothes anywhere to give them away. So that was kind of a, a funny little, <laughs> leaves me going, well, well, now what? <laughs> so, uh, I've done the same thing though, and, and cleaned out just a bunch of storage and like just stuff that I would have just never gotten to. So, doing a little bathroom reno too, and just kind of spruce some things up, do some paint and and all that kind of stuff. So, I'm definitely I don't have a shortage of of chores to do, um, but uh, you know at the same point, I, I don't know how you know in, whatever you got nothing else to do, I guess. You gotta find. You gotta find. Yeah, you gotta do it eventually. You might as well do it now. And like you said, there's you got some land, so there's always something that can be done somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, thinking about trying to find some uh, some goats just to help me with some weed management and pasture management. I've been watching. I guess one thing that I do kind of spend time watching is uh, just I was (laughs) woke up this morning and watched a documentary on on goats and how they um, you know just. You can use them as 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 weed control and and really improve the the quality of your of your pastures. So, anyways, I'm in the market for a goat now. Apparently, all right. Talking to the goat king, Quentin Blair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that documentary would be as interesting. Oh but, hey. man, that is hilarious. The goat king. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get into some music stuff here in just a little bit because you are uh, you are gonna be performing. Uh, do you do do you use this time to just kind of shut? music off like are you thinking about writing are you still picking the guitar in your rocking chair on your front porch or do you just kind of put that out of your mind and and really just focus on you and your family right now uh well it's kind of a catch-22 i've lost the desire to perform so it's like when you go through this it's like i we'll we'll see i got i got a show that we'll talk about right away but um i i I have lost that i'm I was so busy even for the last six months that I haven't written for a long time. So I'm out of that kind of routine as well. And it just, it just, it's not, I'm not feeling it yet. So you just kind of got to let that run its course and, and be okay with it. Um, but that said, I'm still playing a ton. Like I just, I'll sit in my living room and just pull up my guitar and sit there for, for three hours at night. I'm just not playing for anybody. I'm just playing for myself at this point. So, um, so that's always kind of happening. And, evolving and learning new songs or learning new licks and how to implement this and that into the show and so that never really kind of goes away but this thing where people are doing these facebook live shows it's kind of this it's it's interesting i've watched a couple of them but to be honest with you i'm not even consuming music at this point i'm not even i'm hardly listening to music which is just weird for me to kind of be in that type of a frame of mind it's uh, like you said. It's a weird adjustment, and it's it's not just you. It seems across the musical landscape, like artists aren't really sure what to do at this point. Like we know that shows are probably not going to be performed till at the very earliest, maybe July, August, maybe. September, yeah. and that's yeah. maybe. So yeah. a lot of artists, uh, they're they're trying to find their way. They're they're and like you, I think they're enjoying the time off a little bit because. It is hectic to be an artist, uh, you know, whether you're a, a Manitoba artist, a Saskatchewan artist, or a, a global superstar, it's hard mm-hmm. to find time for yourself. Now, which category did you put me into on that one? Uh, the, all three. Or global? All three. Oh, all th- okay. All okay, three in the Saskatchewan, too, you know. I, I, I know you're pretty popular in the Moose Jaw. Yeah, we do, we do a lot of stuff out in Saskatchewan, too, actually. So those are the shows that haven't canceled yet, actually. So Really? 
Yeah, I mean, we'll be there. It's like August when we're there, so right. it'll be a while yet. But so at least, yeah. Yeah, so do you kind of look forward to that, or I guess it's all kind of in the balance now. You're not even sure if you'll be able to do it. That's right. I'm not even excited about it. I'm not even really thinking about it. Just kind of going, we'll wait and see, and I'll expect a cancellation, and that's just how it'll have to go. Or probably postponement. Probably yeah. just go back there next year. And and when it get, you know, when it gets closer, it gets closer. Everything changes so dang fast, anyway, right? Yeah. But it's been kind of a tough time too musically. Like I mean, you know, we lost Kenny, uh, Joe Diffie passed. I wanted day. I wanted to talk to you about those two artists. I mean, uh, you're such a you're 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 an uh, you're a musical savant, and you feel music, and and you appreciate it on such a deep level. And those two legends go so quick in a month that already sucked because of what happened in Nashville, yeah, and then the yeah. pandemic, and then this happened. How did you kind of deal with all that, Q? Because I know that you would have felt that on a level that maybe most of us can't relate to. Well, Kenny Kenny was an artist who actually introduced me to country music. So I, I watched The Gambler, the movies, and, and I watched Kenny in that way, and, and he was always one of my parents' favorite artists. So, you know, Grandma loved Eddie Arnold and Don Williams, and Mom and Dad loved John Denver and Kenny Rogers. And so some of my earliest rec- recollections of storytelling country music was listening to Kenny Rogers, whether it was Reuben James or, you know, Lucille is probably one of my favorite all-time songs from Kenny Rogers, just from the story that it tells. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's heartbreak. I, it's, for years, I thought it was, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. I got 400 children in the crop in the field. I thought he was running an orphanage. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's me as an eight-year-old learning to sing country music. But, but no, with, with Kenny, it was... It was one of those, actually, Brooke and I sat down and had a talk, and, and my mom and dad were actually uh, over that night as well. And so we were just kind of chatting a little bit and saying, like, you know, what did Kenny mean to all of us? And so we put on a Kenny Rogers record, and it was just kind of funny to see my dad, who's tone deaf, like my dad can't sing, but he turned on Kenny Rogers, and he was just putting on a dancing and singing show for Brookie that I'll probably never forget. And we just sat around and listened to Kenny Rogers all night. And so that was kind of a a great moment for me. And then when Brooke went to bed that night, I just sat around and played played country like played with Kenny Rogers tunes for Brooke as she was falling asleep. And so uh, I'm playing a show coming up um I guess on Thursday, an online show with the Manitoba Country Music Association. Uh it'll be a Facebook live thing. Um but I'll probably end up playing Lucille at that show just as a kind of a tribute. And then, of course, with uh, Joe Diffie, I mean, that was the epitome of 90s country music with the big mullet and the kind of the rock and roll kind of country honky-tonk fusion sound, right, with Welcome to, to Earth, Third Rock from the Sun. But he had this great song, um, uh, From Those Who Wait Forever for Ships That Don't Come In. That was a great song that, that uh, Joe Diffie had. But um, there's another artist, too, actually, who's... who's in the hospital right now with coronavirus, and his name is John Prine, and he is probably one of the greatest, he, he is probably the greatest living songwriter um, in the world right now. He's, whatever, if you're into kind of Americana and folk country music, um, he, is the, he is the king, and so a lot of artists right now are also kind of sending love and prayers to, to the Prine family. He's survived cancer twice, so... They're kind of rallying behind that as he's a he's a fighter. So hope that all comes together for good as well. But that would be a, another huge loss to the music community as a result of this. 
Yeah, and I've seen a lot of artists, uh, you know, big name artists, reaching out and saying something that shows his impact. And and he's had uh, a lot of people. He was front page news, and uh, you know, a lot of people are now just learning how important he was. Which uh, it, it's sad that it takes an event like that for people to kind of understand the importance of someone in the music world. But yep. on the other hand, uh, he's gonna be a legend now to a whole new generation. But it's it's interesting how it works because sometimes you've got these these artists that we don't know about because those artists are influencing the artists that we do know about. So when we're looking at, you know, songwriters, like using Brad Paisley for example, my favorite writer is Guy Clark. He passed away probably about three years ago now, around this time actually. And um he, he was my hands-down greatest songwriter, in my opinion. John Pine is right up there as well. But, but Guy would have influenced writers like Brad. So we all know Brad and for his witty songwriting, but where do you think he got that from? He had to find that. It wasn't him that thought of it. He had to learn that from other songwriters. So there's always a, a subcurrent of songwriters that influence all of the mainstream acts that we know about, and we think it's their genius, but it's actually not. It's them learning from somebody who didn't get mainstream success. So, you know, John Prine would have written songs like, um, he's got a great song called Spanish Pipe Dream. He's got um, Grandpa Was a Carpenter. That may be one of the better known tunes because it was on a, an album put out by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's just got a million songs. Clay Pigeons is probably one of my favorite tunes, but he's just got this, or uh, Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road, uh, Dear Annie. I mean, he's like this this phenomenal, phenomenal witty songwriter and that's the thing that makes it so great i was at um the birchwood motor in i don't know eight years ago ten years ago playing music with my dad's hockey team and one guy there was a john prine nut and he just played song after song after song after song of john prine and that's that's where i really started to appreciate the depth and the breadth of uh john prine's writing style so it's pretty remarkable but john's fighting right now too so you just uh, you know hope for the best for him and all that yep uh thoughts and prayers to that family of course and uh talking with quentin blair here on country 107 and the steinbeck online podcast you touched on it q mcma the stay home concert series live stream performance <laughs> by quentin blair yep that's how we're gonna play shows this week so it'll be interesting to, to know like like i want people to log in i want people to ask questions i want people to um you know, if you, if you want to request songs and interact, I mean, I'm, that's, that's how I roll. That's what a normal show would be like. Uh, it's funny because they say it's a, it's a half-hour set, and I'm laughing because I'm like, that's two songs and a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me 30 minutes and say that's what you got. But anyways, it'll be fun, and, and I'll probably end up planning a bunch more, actually, and just go on Facebook Lives. I'm thinking on Wednesday nights, just maybe around 8 o'clock for a half hour, and just use that as a chance to interact with people and, and kind of let people, you know, hey, can you play us this Ian Tyson song or a Corb Lund song or whatever. Speaking of great songs, uh, Corb actually wrote a tune, uh, came out probably three, four years ago, called Getting Down on the Mountain. And that's a song about exactly what we're going through right now. He's like, what, what are you going to do when things go sideways? How are you going to provide for your family? How are you going to survive? And he's talking, you know, even more and more um, in depth than what we're dealing with at this point. But um, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to hear that song and then say, yep, I get it. I can relate. What's, what's running through my mind right now is, you know, what the character in the song is dealing with a lot right now. So 
Um, if you don't have that tune, go check it out. It's pretty, pretty interesting to hear a commentary written three, four years ago about what we're going through right now. You know, what's running through my mind right now is just how much I love irony. And I am a huge fan of irony. We talked a while ago, and you explained your distaste and overall dislike for house concerts. Distaste? Well, you said that, uh, didn't, no, sorry, you uh, explained your love of house concerts, yes, part of me. Yes, yes, yeah, well, let's just get that straight. I love house concerts. Yeah, you absolutely love house concerts. And now the irony is, you're inviting people into your home. And that's, you're, and it's it's in your living room. How cool is that? Right. Yeah, that is that is weird, but great. Yeah. But but like house concerts are hands down my favorite way to perform. Even even better than a big theater or or a dance hall or anything like that. It's it's house concerts. So I'm trying to figure out the hardest part with a house concert is you got to have your camera close enough to you that it picks up all of the like you're playing and it's not kind of distorting the sound. But you want it far enough back away so you can create a little bit of a scene. I was practicing the other day, and I had the camera kind of halfway across the, the living room, and it looked cool because you could see the, the fireplaces in the background, and I'm sitting on them, and like, I just liked the way that it, artistically it looked. I'm like, that is me. That's my brand. That's my life. That's who I am. But it's too far away from the microphone, so it'll be more of just maybe my face that you're going to see on the show. You're going to have to get Brooke to uh, become a part-time camera person. Who's that? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, Brooke. Yeah. I thought you said Mark. I didn't know who this Mark was. Like. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Brooke, Brooke that'll be her, her gig. Five dollars <laughs> a show. <laughs> Talking with Quentin Blair, uh, the MCMA Stay Home Concert Series is uh, when and how can people get hooked up with you? It's Thursday at 8 o'clock, and it's going to be on Facebook Live on the Manitoba Country Music Association Facebook account. So I guess they're going to let me hack into the account sometime on Thursday and go live. So that's that's where, where it'll be. Yeah, if you haven't already, go like the page and uh, they got a lot of great information and uh, you know you're on there with the guy that you performed with before, Tyler Del Pino and oh, uh Tyler. He, <laughs> what you, okay. What, what, what's what's up with that comment? Uh, he's, he no, he's just a good dude. I had so much fun. We played it at uh, Hanover Egg Fair. Yeah. Uh Don and and Leanne and and Tyler and myself played there last year and it was just so much fun. We played um uh, Tom uh, Tom Pedicin, uh Last Dance with Mary Jane, and I had so much fun playing that. That was a duet between me and Tyler. That was probably my favorite song of the night. And then we did Take It Easy too at the end of the night. And yeah, man, I, I love playing that '70s classic rock with Tyler Del Pino. That is awesome. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, is there anything else that you would maybe like to uh, share with your fans that are, are maybe going through a bit of a tougher time right now? Do you have a positive message of hope from Quentin Blair? I'm a heartbreak guy. So what, you want to just depress people? Like, is that the <laughs> No, I mean, you know, we just got to, doing the right thing right now is, is this struggle that we're going through. And we're such social people that that's the hardest part. And I am a, I'm a handshaker and I'm a hugger. And now it's weird for me to meet people or to like, like somebody was dropping stuff off. And I'm like, Hey, I'm kind of just saying like six feet away, just like, no no hug no handshake no anything just like do your thing and get out of here <laughs> so it's it's kind of this, this strange mentality for me but you know we just gotta we, we've got to trust that we're doing the right thing and and stay safe and and kind of look after those around us because because so much of this it's not even about us it's about 
the vulnerable, right? So the smaller percentage of the population, that's who we're doing all of this for. So remember that. And, and you know, I would think about my my grandma in a situation like this or, you know, just others in a, in a vulnerable position. So we got to do this and, and we will get through it. All right, Q, uh, before I let you go, uh, I have been staying up nights thinking up uh, new interview questions because uh, the same generic ones get pretty boring for artists and for those of us that have to ask them. Yep. So I have a I have a question that I'm pretty sure I know the answer to, but I just want to hear you actually explain it. Okay. Would you rather have a greatest hits album with, you know, 10, 11, 12 tracks, or would you rather have that one song that lasted generations, defined music, and lived on forever? <laughs> so that one song saying, or that greatest hits? Are you saying, do I want that summer and American Honky Tonk Bar Association and... If tomorrow never comes, or do I want friends in low places? Yeah, I think honestly, as as the writer, I want the catalog. Really, I want the catalog. Yeah, I, I mean, let's face it: like the the type of music that I write is never about success. It's always about a story, and it's always about saying something different. And it's never about hit writing. Friends in low places was a song that was Somebody has 20 minutes at a bar. That song is worth $20 million. Can you, you even get your head around that? It's true. And that's not the answer I thought you were going to go with, honestly. I thought you were going to go with the one song that lasted a lifetime. You know, like Eric Clapton and, uh, you know, like that. Yeah, but, but so, so, so take Eric Clapton. Do you want... You know, <laughs> like, do you want? <laughs> I don't want See, to this is why I stay up want... nights thinking these questions. <laughs> do you want cocaine and lay down, Sally, and um, uh, slow hand? Uh, no, not slow hand. Uh, or do you want tears in heaven? Right, that's what I was thinking. Like tears in heaven. Like, tears in heaven is an amazing song. I would choose tears in heaven over cocaine, lay down, Sally, any day because it's a such a, an emotional song. But. You know, yeah, Eric Clapton going. That's going back into the history of the Yardbirds, Eric and the Dominoes. Man, Eric Clapton's a whole nother. We could do music minutes for years on Eric Clapton. <laughs> well, he refuses to play. Um, I know he refuses to play that now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, but that's because that's because that song is about healing for him, and that song has just got so much depth to his personal life, like. How can you relive that moment every night on stage? Yeah. When you wrote that out of healing, it turned into a hit, but you didn't write it to be a hit. You wrote it because that's what you needed to say at the time. Well, I do have one more now that I went through my list of questions. I got like four pages. Do you have time for one more? Yeah, sure do. Okay, uh, so I'm very interested in this. When you're headlining a show, you're headlining a bill like you did, uh, like you've done so many times, do you feel a sense of responsibility not to fans? but to the other artists that are on that bill? Less so to the artist and more so to the promoter, somebody who entrusted me with that position, right? Like somebody phones you and says, hey, we want you to headline this show. We're going to have three other acts on it as well. And this is what we're working towards. But somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want you to represent the entire night. So I feel a responsibility to them, even though, my pay isn't dictated by how many people come in that case, right? Because they're buying the show. So financially, I have no, I could care less if people come. 
but I, I don't take that responsibility lightly that somebody would tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I want you to be the face of the night, the representation, and it's your show, you better nail it, and you don't make me look bad. That's kind of the way that I maybe feel about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's that that I understand. Like, I always just wondered, like, when you're the headliner and, and you're the last guy on, is there a sense that you have to? Uh, is is there just a sense of maybe needing to be more than the other acts ahead of you? Because I always think of Jerry Lee Lewis, and uh, I just when he played uh, right before Chuck Berry. Have you did, have you ever heard that story? No, I haven't. No. Well, I, this was when uh, Great Balls of Fire came out. So Jerry yeah. Lee Lewis. Uh, he he was set to close the show, and then Chuck Berry came in and said, "No, I'm I closed down the show." So Jerry went out there and did this incredible performance, lit the piano on fire, and and, and just like tore the house down, and then walked yeah. past the guys like, "Here, you know, go close the show," <laughs> you yeah. know. And I always wonder. So I wondered, like, when you're a headliner, like, there, is there pressure to almost one up the other acts on the bill? Yes, but uh, so here's the thing. So so if we're talking on a like on a on a local level here, um, you know, when you're working with your friends, right? If if we're working a show and we've got um, Don Amaro's on it, like you Hanover Eggfair, Don Amaro's on it, and and Leanne Pearson's on it, and Tyler Delpino's on it, those are all my friends. It, we call it the back porch jam, and they wanted me to be the sort of the the main face on it because it's maybe a more familiar voice to the crowd, but. There's never any kind of like, oh, you did this, so I better do this. But there's a difference mm-hmm. when you do play with um, a national act as the opener. You want to you want to make their job as hard as it can be because you want to win the crowd and you want them. So when I tell my stories, I kind of want them in the palm of my hand. And then when we get to Orange Blossom Special, we want the entire place just going nuts. And I want to walk off the stage and walk past the act, and I want them to be like, "That was a heck of a show." <laughs> and that, but they, they got the hits though. So that's the thing about a headliner; they've always got the hits. So you're never going to outshine the headliner because George Canyon's going to walk on stage and says, "I'll never do better than you." And look at me when he sings it. Just kidding, he didn't do that. But, <laughs> you know, but like, like that's the thing. It's like when you play with Charlie Major. Charlie was like a standing side stage at soundcheck in Regina and just starts clapping. He goes, man, that was incredible. And I didn't even know he was there and he walks out, but, but he's going to sing, I do it for the money and, and it can't happen to me and drive and drive you out of my mind. Like he doesn't have to worry about that anymore because he's got the hits. Right. So, but as the, as the opener, you always want to just shine as bright as you can. And it's, it's almost like a fun game of competition, but at the same point, they have the hits, so you're never going to outshine them. Right, so if you're doing like a, a country fest or a, like a howl at the moon, if you're one of those first artists, you want to leave an impression in the minds of everybody and go, you know what, uh, You know, Emerson Drive was great, but did you get to see Leanne Pearson? You know, right. Is that kind of where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you want That's your chance, because the people are there to see the other act, not to see you. Right. Or very few of them are there to see you. Most of them want to see the Emerson Drives or the Doc Walkers or Road Hammers, whoever it is. So you're using their crowd. You've got to win the crowd. And the other part, too, is that you're setting up the other act. If you play well, people are satisfied and happy, and now they can take a little break, and then the hits come, and they're just ecstatic. But if that opening act is hard to listen to and screechy and unprofessional and doesn't know how to talk in front of a microphone, and like if you're kind of that early, early development artist, 
that's hard because the people grow restless. Yeah. I went, I went to see Willie Nelson, I don't know, 10 years ago. He played at the MTS Center. And I went to the show and sat right up front. And Lucas Nelson, his, his boy, yep. opened the show. Is that the same Lucas. one that was on the A Star Is Born? Oh, was Lucas on that? I, I haven't thought- seen the movie. I don't watch movies, but... How have you not seen A Star is... <laughs> Q! Tiger King and A yeah, Star is Born. Seen, I haven't seen Spinal Tap, which is the musician's movie of all musicians' movies. Wow. You talk to any musician about Spinal Tap, they will all make every reference you can think of, and I've just never taken the time. Yeah, Lucas, um, he, he performed and wrote um, the, in The Star is Born. He was a, a big influence in that movie. Yeah, he, he's phenomenal. So he, yeah, he worked with Bradley Cooper, did a lot of great stuff. So you saw him leading into his dad, Willie. Yeah, but the show, he played for like an hour and a half, and the crowd was so restless, and they're like, we want Willie, we want Willie. And the poor guy's up there. I mean, he's got in-ear monitors in, so he's probably hearing very little of this kind of stuff, but he's playing a bunch of blues tunes, he's playing a bunch of rock and roll, he's playing a bunch of great... He, he's much more country now than he was back then, but he, he like now you see him as... He, he is in that upper echelon of writers and performers. He knows what he is. He knows what he does. But in that development stage, nobody cared. And all the people were like, it wasn't relating. They're there to see Willie Nelson. So they want to, like, it's a bunch of, an, it's an older crowd. They want to hear City of New Orleans. They want to hear Poncho and Lefty. Like, that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for blues, rock and roll. Right. In the show. But he was phenomenal but people didn't know him he didn't relate to the crowd and so he he didn't get booed off stage but it wasn't it it was probably the most restless i've ever seen a crowd at an opening performance yeah you got a feel for him at that point too eh? absolutely i did and then now it's just like oh man i'm glad (laughs) you knew who you were because a bunch of people didn't right and they were giving up on you already back then and you know it's funny with with those opening acts and i've seen it backstage you know i've I've been lucky enough to introduce a lot of great acts and and i'm sure you've seen it too if there's technical delays or or anything it's those opening acts that gets their time cut and you know they're forced to go oh we, we were supposed to have you for 35 minutes now you have to do 15 yeah like they're the ones that suffer when when technical glitches happen or or whatever weather i mean they get caught and, and it's unfair and it's tough to be an opening act man you don't, you don't even know the half of it as far as the financial strain on the opening act so uh i heard the story about how dean brody got his first national tour opening for terry clark right and they went coast to coast and poor dean had to chase the tour bus in his pickup truck from coast to coast. So the life of an opening artist is you get to the venue, maybe you're the second one to sound check. The other band's got to be there first, and then you go on your sound check. So probably 4.30 in the afternoon. You get your sound check, and then you go sit in the green room by yourself. If you're not friends with the band, like you're not just automatically welcomed in. you got to wait for them to welcome you in. So you're sitting in the green room by yourself. You go on, you play your half-hour show, a couple of people come to see you, buy a little bit of merch, but everyone's there to see the headliner. And then they play the show. The headliner sells a ton of merch and autographs everywhere, left, right, and center. Everyone loves the headliner. They get on the bus, and you climb into your pickup truck, and you follow them to the next town, and you just watch them be a star. And so it's, it's neat because you get to see a lot of things that other people don't get to see, and, and that's where some great artists really develop, and they go, wow, 
I learned the way that this guy handled this situation, or I learned the way that this guy handled this situation and dealt with this type of a fan or whatever. But man, it's a it's a tough slug, and <laughs> there's no money in it. I mean, <laughs> when, he's, when he's going from town to town, he's lucky if he makes enough money to put gas in his tank. Those are all exposure shows and so for a guy like Dean it worked out I saw Johnny Reed do the same thing with Brad Paisley like it, it can work but at the same point it can really suck all right then I got two questions to piggyback on that before we uh before we close down here uh do you think fans greater appreciate the undercard now with access to you know so many different music streams artists are out there more now than they've ever been do you think uh fans I know you just told the the Lucas uh, Nelson story but do you think fans greater appreciate the undercard where they would maybe know Dean on that tour before he even comes to that city maybe more so than that 15 years ago um right when people would have had to buy the record now they can kind of stream a couple songs and go yeah okay i like this guy or no i don't like this guy and they'll judge you based on what material material you've got in, in place kind of thing so yeah um what your music videos are like what your social media presence is if all of a sudden you've got you know five thousand followers and all that okay well this guy's probably a real deal and and if you know you have 1800 followers the management company say ah he's not good enough for us to take on the road we're going to take a guy from toronto who's we're going to try to break which is the reality of a true story where i lost out on a huge tour because of the number of social media followers i had boy that's just and, but that's the, that's the day and age we live in right like, i know it's, and it's the nuts. artist the artist wanted me the band members wanted me but the the management team and the agent said he's not enough of a help for us and they ended up hiring a guy from toronto to do it who was not the right fit and i like i just i looked it up when i when i saw it and just said this is just ridiculous yeah so, that's but you know what like you said that happens and, and it's got to suck to have people make that decision for you and and be told that because that's just nobody likes that nonsense yeah no it is um just one of those it's, it's just the reality of the business, but at yeah. the same point, it's like it sucks when that's the when that's the case. All right, Q, I've kept you uh, for quite a bit, so we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll let you get out here. I'll, I do have one more question, but maybe I'll save that for another time. Sure, well, let's do this again sometime. You know what? We should we should catch up a lot more. I mean, uh, we got the show coming up uh, on Thursday. You can follow along on the Facebook page and hopefully uh, follow Quinton on social media. His last story says you got to follow him on social media. That's important. (laughs) Q, man, thank you so much. And uh, make sure you and your family stay safe and healthy, uh, both mentally and physically during all this. Will do. You too, buddy.